Good morning. Um, I'm going to ask the camera guys to do something here for me. I want, I want, would you just pan around what you can in the room just to show people how empty it is here? Okay, can the cameras move like that or not? Do you want me to walk around and you follow me? They're doing it. Okay. So as you can see, the room here is empty, but I want to, to remind you of something A.W. Tozer said, and that is that if you, if you keep us from coming to our building, the sanctuary, the room is empty, but the sanctuary is not. You're the sanctuary. The Holy Spirit of God resides in you. So worship of the one true God cannot be stopped. It is worldwide, everywhere right now, because God's people are worshiping God. They are hearing his word, and they are choosing a defiant act. We're going to do what God calls us to do, even though people tell us we can't do it. I'm proud of you for joining us, not just because it's us and it's here, but because you're saying no to fear, no to anger, and no to all the conspiracy theories out there. So one sec, let me cough. It's just asthma. <clears throat> um, Hey, I, I want to I remind you one thing before we get started. Uh, we're going to be in James, and we'll get right to that. But um, those of you who have been worshiping here for a long time, I've been around this church for about just over seven years. And one of the things that, uh, that you hear me say pretty regularly, um, which is a word I cannot say on a regular basis, is that the commodity, the currency of our age seems, seems to be fear and, um, and strife and anger and those kind of things. And, and I think I'm right. Um, people all around the world are afraid. And if they're sick of being afraid, then they're angry at the people that are trying to make them afraid. I just want to remind us all that our battle is not against flesh and blood. We are not the people on the news, the people that disagree with you, the people that are politicizing this stuff. They're not your enemy. I don't think they're trying to deceive us. I think they might, some of them might be deceived, but it's the deceiver who is our enemy. It is, our, our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the power of the air. So let's turn our attention to where it belongs, focused on God and against his enemy, remembering that the people aren't our enemy. Let me pray, and then I'm gonna start with a story to kind of help us frame our minds about what James is saying, because this is the passage in James. The people that don't like James, it's this passage, this is why, okay? So let's pray. Lord, thank you for great thinkers like A.W. Tozer, who reminds us that you can't keep Christians from worshiping. The room might be empty, but the sanctuary is full. Lord, thank you that you reside in us. Thank you that you, you are the heart that beats between two living lungs. We bless you for that. We thank you for that. We thank you that you know the future already, even though we don't. So we trust you and not not in our own understanding of what's going on. You tell us very clearly um, we should lean not on our own understanding. So, Lord, we don't. We lean on yours. Lord, for me, um, I'm asking you to stand in my shoes, to give me your thoughts, and to speak with my voice so that your people hear your message that's for them, not my message for them. Help us hear you, Lord. And Lord, give us eyes to see what you want us to see, ears to hear what you want us to hear, and hearts to receive what you want us to receive. 
We pray this in Jesus' name, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. Now, here's the story. Um, it sounds like James is telling us that some would say he's saying that, that, that works are more important than faith, and others say he's saying that faith is more important than works. He's saying neither of those. And I'm going to have some pretty heady quotes here for you in a minute, but if, if that frustrates you early on, stick with me because there's some really good stuff to come. Now, here's the story. Uh, a husband and a wife have been in a long-term loveless marriage. And I don't mean loveless like they didn't always feel that kind of feeling that you feel for someone you love, but they just, they weren't, it just wasn't good between them. They, they, they weren't kind to one another. They weren't patient. They weren't. So it, and the man, the husband became very demanding and uh, so much so that he prepared a list of rules and regulations for his wife to follow. He insisted that she read them over every day and obey them to the letter. Among the things on his to-dos and don'ts list, it indicated such detail as to what time she was supposed to get out of bed, what time his breakfast was supposed to be ready and on the table, and how to do the housework that she is supposed to do. Now that, this guy is not a good man, okay? Don't know if it's a true story or if it's just an illustration, but you can picture that kind of relationship. After several very long years, the husband died. And as time passed, the woman fell in love with another man who dearly loved her. Soon they were married, and that husband, the new one, husband 2.0, uh, he... <laughs> He did everything he could to make his new wife happy. He continually showered on her tokens of his appreciation. And one day as she was cleaning the house, she found tucked away in a drawer the list of commands her first husband had drawn up for her. And as she looked it over, it dawned on her that even though her present husband didn't have any kind of to-dos and don't-dos list, she was doing everything for her new husband that her old husband had required but she was doing it out of devotion, love, desire to please him instead of out of obligation or orders. That's how I want you to think as we hear this message, as we read James. The law, here's what you do and here's what you don't do. And grace, is it's been done already for you. There are three different ways of looking at the Old Testament law. And just so, there's a lot of things in there, but let's just, just be thinking of the Ten Commandments, okay? There, there, in, in theological circles, there's, there's three different ways of looking at the law. They're called the uses of the law. One is keep the law and earn salvation. Now, I'm, I'm summarizing. There's a lot more to all of these uses, but I'm summarizing. So one is keep the law, do everything to the letter, and thereby you earn salvation. The other is, it shows you, number two, it shows you how badly, how bad you are and, and the, how much of a failure you are. It convicts you. It shows you how wrong you are. The third use of the law, which comes from grace, which is because of Christ, is, is out of gratitude to God for what he has done, you decide to show your, great, your, your gratitude to God by living, by, by not having any other gods before him, by, by not taking his name in vain, by 
keeping the Sabbath holy, by obeying your mother and your father, not murdering, not bearing false witness, all those kind of things. It, it's because of what God has done, here's our response. Now, James knows, we know, and the rest of the New Testament knows that, that there's a marriage that takes place in the scriptures. What God has done and our response. And James is making it really clear, and you'll hear it here in a moment, that what God has done and you receiving that can't be separated from our response, what we're supposed to do. So just as the woman who was married to a terrible man did it out of obligation, that's not of free will, that's to protect herself. That's the old way. The new way is because I get to, not because I have to. It reads like this. I'm going to use my glasses today because I'm old. Here's James in chapter 2, verses 14 and following. It reads like this. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or da and daily food. If, if one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. And I, will show, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You, you, you see that a person is justified by what he does not, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous? For what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them in a different direction, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now, I'm going to concentrate primarily on that last, that last piece, um, and I'm going to read some quotes. They're kind of heady. Just bear with me for a second. But Martin Luther... Um, he really struggled with the book of James and in and, and reconciling James and Paul, Paul, the author of about two-thirds of the New Testament. And it seem, seemingly from this passage and much of what Paul says, they seem to be contradicting each other or disagreeing with each other, and they don't. The question is asked, how can justification take place without the works of the law, even though James says faith without works is dead? In answer, the apostle Paul distinguishes between law and faith or the letter, things that we have to do, and grace. The works of the law are works done without faith and grace. They're done by the law, which forces them to be done through fear or some kind of promise that benefit is going to come now. So that's appeasing a deity. But Works of faith 
are done in the spirit of liberty, purely out of love to God. And they can be done only by those who are already justified by faith. Now, I know it's a little heady. Listen to this one. Again, Martin Luther. An ape can cleverly imitate the actions of humans, but he is not therefore human. If he, become, if he became a human, it would, be, it would undoubtedly be not by virtue of the works by which he imitated man, but by virtue of something else, namely an act of God. That's what James is getting at. What he's saying is what A.W. Tozer says. The purpose of good works isn't to change us or to save us. It's the demonstration of the change that has already taken place in us. Think about it this way. Just like that woman and the husband in the first story. I've talked about this before. When I was a kid and I knew I had a bad grade coming, I would overobey my mom. I would make my bed. I would clean my room. I would put dishes in the dishwasher. And sometimes I would even wash the pots and pans. Why? Because I know bad news is coming. I'm going to be in trouble. So I'm going to do my best to appease my mother to soften the blow. Sometimes if I'm in the, if I think I'm in the doghouse with my wife, I do the same kind of thing. I, I, I want, I want to lessen the blow. I want to, I want to, I want to get back into good graces, even though you can't do anything to get grace. And so I, I help. I prepare. I try to be nice. So if I'm in trouble, I do certain things to help get me out of trouble. But if I'm thrilled with my wife, if I'm pleased with my wife, just because I love her, I do all those same things. So one is to get me out of trouble. The other is because I'm grateful and because I'm loving. Same actions, different motive. So when, when James says, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. And he, and he says, someone might say, show me, or you, you, ha, I ha, you have faith, I have deeds. James is looking at this and he's going, there's no difference. So let me give you a metaphor. If God, it's just a metaphor. I'm not claiming that God, I'm not a pantheist. God is not the air. But if God is the air, our lungs are faith and our works are breath. Lungs are for breathing and breath comes from lungs. You can't say, I have lungs, but I have no breath. And you can't say, I have breath, but I have no lungs. They're married. Lungs are for breathing. Breath comes from lungs. Faith is who God has made us and what God has done for us. And us deciding, yes, Lord, you know better than I do. I give my life to you. I believe what you say. I believe who you are. And I, and here's the key. I will do what you say. Faith is being sure. Faith is knowing. Faith is yes, Lord. Works are gratitude. It's because we have faith that we do these things. You know, in, in Scripture where it says, it says that uh, um, to, do, to do the good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. And elsewhere it tells us that for you do those good works so that people will see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. 
He doesn't say, do good work so that other people look at you and go, you're a good guy. You're a good, good woman. That's not what it's for. In fact, we, that's what James is getting at. He's saying, some of these people are saying, but I have faith. And someone else goes, I don't care. I do good stuff. And he's going, they're married. You can't separate them. Here's what I think is a problem though, personally. I know it's a struggle for me. Sometimes when I do good deeds, I do them because I want people to see that I'm doing good deeds. That's works, not motivated by faith. And sometimes I've devoted my life to the service, to the service of Christ in his church. And sometimes I want my faith in Christ to be enough. And I don't really want to do anything. That's faith without works. But all of scripture, Paul, John, that we just got finished walking through the first, through the spring of the, the early spring of the year, the winter and spring. He said, John, in, in the gospel according to John and in first John, he says this. If you claim to have the love of God, but you hate your neighbor, you're a liar. Now, I'm, this, isn't a, this isn't a poke at you. This isn't a, I'm not trying to convict you. I'm just trying to tell you how important it is to God that we understand that what we believe and how we behave are married. There is no way to separate what God has joined together. Let no man tear apart. So we get frustrated when we, we don't have what we want. And we pray and we pray and we pray that God will change our circumstances. And we're saying, I'm, I'm going to have faith. I'm going to rely on God. I'm going I'm to hang it. Lord, please bring some sense of normalcy back. Lord, please have it so that my kids get along today. Lord, please have it so that today when I talk to my spouse, I don't get the internal eye roll. Please, Lord, keep my kids off the roof again. Whatever it might be, we're asking God to fix our circumstances. Honestly, folks, if we're, on, if we're honest... That's kind of self-focused. Yes, we want to do good works in our family. We want to be a good father or mother. We want to be a good husband or wife. Yes, we want to be a good neighbor to the people down the street. We want to bring them toilet paper because they're out. Okay. But sometimes we get so caught up in our own stuff that we forget that God might have something bigger in mind. And so maybe, maybe we should start asking different questions of God. Maybe our prayers should change so that they will see our good works and praise our Father in heaven. Imagine if God has decided to shut the world down or allowed to shut the world down, however it may be. I don't know. But imagine if, if he's shutting it down because he wants to reveal himself to humanity. And there are Christians all around the world right now, every continent, every nation, probably every village, maybe not in every home, and they're watching. What if we started praying, Lord, reveal yourself 
Lord, get rid of the darkness and bring in the light. Lord, save those who are in bondage to things other than you. What if we decided to say, to, to say to the Lord, Lord, I don't want this shutdown to continue. I don't want to remain stuck. I don't, I'm, I'm tired of being in my house. I'm tired. I don't have work. What if, what if we had some kind of attitude like this? If we take our faith and we match it with the works of God and we say, Lord, however long you want me to wait so that you can accomplish what you're planning to accomplish, I'll be faithful in it. And when you move and when you call, I will respond because faith and works are married. You breathe with your lungs. It gives you life. It keeps you alive. That's faith. But the breath that you take in and out is, are the works. It's what God wants you to do. So a couple of questions, difficult ones. If faith without works, is dead, and you're a Christian, can anyone tell? I hope so. And when this shutdown, if it continues, will people still be able to tell? And when it ends, will people be able to tell? See, we're supposed to live our lives in such a way that people can see who our God is. Not so that people see that we're godly, but people can see who our God is. Are we thinking too small? Or are we willing to say yes, Lord, to everything he has for us, even if it's not what we want right now? I did a devotional last week. I sent it out. Talked about some of those things when God didn't answer my prayers, and I'm so thankful that he didn't. I think he did answer them. He just said no. It just wasn't the way I wanted it. I think sometimes we get caught up in why me instead of what, Lord? What are you doing? Imagine if every Christian around the world changed their mindset a little bit from when's this going to be over to what do you want me to do, Lord? How do you want me to show your grace? See, he trusts you so much that he has put the mantle, the responsibility of communicating his grace to humanity on you. He came once and he will come again, but he came once to show us God's redemptive plan. And then he gave the responsibility for putting that out there to you, to me. And when he comes back again, it's not to save a bunch of new people. It's to take those he loves home. How wonderful it would be that when Jesus returns, nobody is condemned. We get the opportunity to share grace with humanity, and they're watching us. I'm going to finish with this. It's by Charles Spurgeon. The great preacher, I think it was 1800s. It might have been early 1900s, but he says that a, a large sum of money was given to, to Roland Hill to dispense to a poor pastor, not me. Thinking that the amount was too much to send all at once, Hill forwarded just a portion along with a note that simply said, 
more to follow. And in, the, in a few days, the man received another envelope containing the same amount of money with the same message, more to follow. At regular intervals, there came a third, a fourth, a fifth. In fact, they continued along with these cheering words until the entire sum had been disseminated and received. And Charles Spurgeon used this story to illustrate that the good things we receive from God always come with the same prospect of more to follow. He said, when God forgives our sins, there's more forgiveness to follow. He justifies us in the righteousness of Christ, but there's more to follow. He adopts us into his family, but there's more to follow. He prepares us for heaven, but there's more to follow. He gives us grace, but there's more to follow. He helps us to old age, but there is still more to follow. Spurgeon concluded, even when we arrive in the world to come, there will still be more to follow. Folks, God is not done. He's not done with this world. He has not given up on humanity and he's not done with you. He has not given up on you and you have not given up on him. There is more to follow. There is more to come. And when this thing is over, I can't wait to see what God has done in your life and in the world. But let us be a people who believe that there's more to come, that God's not done. And we pray that those who are deceived, that they become faithful that the light comes on and they see that God reveals himself to them. And let us be a people who say, if, Lord, if you need us to care for those that are hurting, yes, Lord, we will go because faith and works are married, just like lungs and breath are married. One is for the other and the other comes from the one. If you love Jesus, Respond to him in obedience. If you don't love Jesus, you'll know it. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and we're going to we're going to we're going to celebrate communion together. Pastor Greg will prepare you for that. He will walk you through that. Um, but I just I just want you to consider the means. This means of grace. This is a way that God gives you what you do not deserve. How he does it, it's miraculous, it's mysterious. But one of the things that Paul tells us before we take communion is to kind of do a gut check or a heart check. So if you have been someone who has believed good things but hasn't done, hasn't responded in gratitude to God with how you behave, this is the time to confess that to him. Just tell him and ask him, to forgive, and he will. He's faithful to forgive us our sins. There's more forgiveness to follow. And if you want things to be different, confess it. That just means to tell God what he already knows. Confess it, and he will be faithful, and he will give you the courage to make things different. So I'm gonna pray that for myself, and I ask you to join me, and then Pastor Greg will come up, and we will celebrate the sacrament of communion. Lord, thank you for great thinkers like A.W. Tozer, who tells us that the room is empty, but the sanctuary is not, who tells us that we don't do things, good things to earn anything, but it's a result or the fruit of the change that's taken place in us. You tell us, Lord, that when someone becomes a Christian, they're a whole new person inside. The old is gone, the new has come.
Lord, I confess that there's still too much old in me and not enough new that has come. So I'm asking, Lord, to make me new, to renew in me a right spirit, to show me where my faith is lacking because there's no action, and to show me, Lord, where there's more opportunity for action so that I can be assured that my faith is true. Lord, as we prepare our hearts to celebrate communion, I'm just going to be quiet for a moment and ask you to speak to us, to convict where we need convicting, to encourage where we need encouraging, and to empower where we need empowerment. Lord, we're going to look up to see what you're doing. We're gonna lean in to whatever you have for us. And we're gonna live out our faith wherever you lead us. In Jesus' name, for his sake, for your glory we pray, amen.